Mark chapter 4. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no roots. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants, so they did not bear grain. Still, other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew, and produced a crop. My Bible, parents gave it to me as a gift when I uh, graduated high school. It's been with me ever since. I've read it cover to cover, from Genesis to Maps. <laughs> I, used to, I used to do one of those uh, plans, you know, um, read the Bible in a year or or the New Testament in, uh, in a month. And uh, because I uh, memorized a lot as a kid when I was in, in Sunday school, I still feel that chunks of it are, are in there, in me. They're familiar, like an old friend. But did you ever get together with an old friend and... Uh, one day, you uh, didn't know what to say to each other. Stare at the coffee and you look out the window and you make your excuses and say, you know, I really got to get going. That's been me in scripture lately. I don't know what it is. I, my beliefs are the same. This is the book that God gave us. It's his word. His words his, his stories, his guidance, his, his history, his prophecy, and, and I love reading. You know, fiction, biographies, the news. But lately, when I pick up this book, I sit down at 6.15 every morning, my coffee on the couch, and my mind wanders. All I can think of is chores. Or that guy at work who's been bugging me. <laughs> that, that funny sound my car's making. Or whether or not I want a donut. Anything except what I'm reading seems to just you know, take over my thoughts. And the next thing I know, it's a, it's a Boston cream and I'm late for work. <laughs> That's my quiet time for the day. It's a chicken and egg thing, right? <laughs> Does my, my quiet time uh, with, with, with God feel stalled because I, I'm not reading his word? Or, or can I not get into reading because I feel distant from God? I don't think I'm, I'm shallow soil. I, I don't think I'm, I'm in a thorny place in life. I just, I, I want to be the soil that produces a fruit. I just feel 
like regular old dirt, waiting for spring and for the rains to come. Waiting for this book to come alive to me again. Do you ever feel like that? Like regular old dirt? Waiting for this book, the Bible, to come alive in you again? This character, Jeff, we met him last week in a rather extended drama we used to introduce this series on Stalled. It was um, an imaginary group of people from a hypothetical small group in a fictional church that bore striking resemblance to many of the groups that we're a part of. It ended up being one of our funniest and most poignant dramas in a long time. So if you missed it because of the snow last Sunday, you may want to go online and at least watch the first 10 minutes of last Sunday's message because it, it sets us up pretty well. But once these group members uh, got past the polite, predictable Sunday school answers, they made the discovery that most of them, if not all of them, were feeling stalled in their spiritual life, like they weren't making progress anymore. And I think the reason the drama resonated with so many of us wasn't just because it was funny and well done, but because it found us in our stalled places. Last January, this past just a few months ago, we took a survey here on a Sunday morning. It was kind of a last-minute idea, but we presented a spiritual journey diagram that we use sometimes here around Grace to kind of map the journey from unbelief to belief. And uh, we got over 1,300 responses that day, which is a pretty good response rate for a survey like that, and we learned quite a bit about our congregation. For instance, we learned that a significant number of our congregation identify themselves on the seeking side, on, the, on their way to faith side of the journey. As you can see, indifferent, skeptical, confused, or seeking. Now, assuming that people on the still on their way to faith are probably least likely to fill out a survey on church growth, uh, spiritual growth, it tells us that about 10% of our congregation on any given Sunday are still on their way. And that's great because we want this to be a safe place to seek and even be skeptical about your faith and be able to say so out loud. On the believing side of the journey, we learned that 43 people identify themselves as new believers in the past year and 137 as revived believers, reconnecting with God or church after years away. Now, that was good news, too, because we want our church to be a place where people regularly discover or rediscover a relationship with Christ and with his church. The best news, perhaps, was that the largest group by far was the growing group with uh, 713 people describing themselves as growing in their faith. So all of that was interesting and encouraging. The one that got our attention and that became the seed thought for this message was that 317 people described themselves as stalled on the journey of faith, stuck, not making progress. That means about 25% of the believers in our congregation, one in four people listening today, 
feel as though they're not growing spiritually. So when we discover that, we said we need to speak into that. So we've designed this series here for the month of April to address this particular challenge of how do we get going and growing again by rediscovering Jesus? In fact, we learned last week that these stalled moments, as uncomfortable as they are, can actually become pivotal moments when God meets us in those stalled places and speaks something new into our lives or points us in a new direction. Last week, we learned that we begin to get going and growing again when we get a grander vision for our lives. You really don't get going and growing again by simply trying harder. Something has to spring from inside, a vision of, of the life you want to live, the person you want to be. Jesus sees that person. He calls us to something greater and grander. And so that, that vision gets us started on our journey and keeps us going. But then there are steps to be taken. And so today we're going to discover one of the first and most important steps you can take to get going and growing again. And as you've probably figured out by now, it has something to do with the Bible. Because if the spiritual journey is like a road trip, then Scripture is the fuel in our tank. We are not getting very far without it. And apparently some of us, many of us, feel as though we are running on empty. So we're going to take a look at one of the many stories or parables that Jesus told. It's a familiar one called the parable of the sower and the seed. We really could more accurately call it the parable of the soils. Because in this story, we meet four kinds of people, three of whom are not growing. Let's try to find out why. We've already kind of given, gotten the gist of the parable. We have a farmer who's sowing seed. The seed falls on four different kinds of soil, and there are four very different responses to that seed. Let's jump ahead to Jesus' explanation of that parable as he's talking to his disciples. So we'll jump in at Mark chapter 4, verse 14. The farmer sows the word. So right away, we learn that the seed in the story represent, represents God's word. So when Jesus used that metaphor, he was thinking of the Old Testament Scripture, surely, his own words and teachings, and by implication, the teaching of his apostles who would come after him. The remarkable thing about seed is that it has life in it. That small, insignificant, even speck of matter, dry and dusty as it is, can produce life, but only if the conditions are right. And so in this story, we discover the conditions that are necessary for the seed, for God's word, to bear fruit in our lives. So let's look at what they might be. Jesus says, some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the seed that was sown in them. So some people are like hard-packed soil, the kind you find on a well-traveled path. And the soil is so hard that the seed is not able to take hold. It doesn't have a chance to find a little crevice to settle into. Can't wait around for some rain to fall and soften up the soil. As soon as it hits that dry, hard ground, birds come, the enemy comes and snatches the seed away. There's no time for the seed to take hold. Let's keep going. Other people, Jesus says, are like seed sown on rocky places who hear the word and at once receive it with joy. 
But since they have no root, they only last a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. So the second kind of person allows the seed to sprout and begin to grow, but because the soil is so shallow and there are so many rocks, there are no spaces for the roots to extend themselves and find moisture and nutrition. And so the plant grows for a time, but when things heat up, when life begins to happen, the plant withers for lack of moisture and nutrients. It has no space to put down roots. And then the third, still others, Jesus says, like seeds sown among thorns, hear the word, but the worries of this life the deceitfulness of wealth and desire, the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. So here we have plants that actually take hold and put down roots and begin to grow. But before they can reach maturity, before they can begin to produce flowers and fruit, these thorns come in and occupy all the space and light and the plant's never able to come to maturity. It has no air space to spread out. So that's the simple gist of the parable as Jesus tells and explains it. Now, there are a variety of ways you can teach and interpret this parable. I'm sure many of us have heard it explained in a variety of ways. That's the beauty of parables is Jesus invites us to use our imagination as we apply it to our circumstances. So as I looked at this parable again, this time through the lens of being stalled on the journey, it struck me that here we meet three kinds of people who are stalled on their journey or to mix the metaphor, stifled in their growth. They're not growing. One of them doesn't grow at all. The second begins to grow and dies out. And the third makes progress but never reaches maturity. And in all three cases, the problem is with their receptivity to God's Word. Now, the problem's not the seed. We know that God's Word is good seed. It's going to produce fruit because the soil, the seed that falls on good soil produces all kinds of fruit. So something's wrong with the people and their receptivity to their relationship with God's Word. So if we can address those problems, our interaction with God's Word, then maybe we can learn how to get going and growing again. So what conditions are necessary for the Bible to come alive again in us? Well, let me offer three. The first is time. Seeds need time to take hold. As we said, seeds are incredibly powerful. The life force inside of a seed is practically unstoppable. I'm sure we've all seen seeds and plants growing in the most unlikely places because that seed is so powerful. But it needs time to settle down, to find some soil, to find a crack or a crevice for some moisture to come and then begin to grow. And the problem here is there's just not enough time. Well, that suggests to us if God's Word is going to grow and bear fruit in our lives, it, we need time. We need exposure to God's Word for long enough and frequently enough that it can actually produce fruit. So if your only exposure to God's Word is a 33-minute sermon on a Sunday, that's not going to be enough. It's not enough time. Because no sooner do you get to your car and turn on the radio in the parking lot or stop at the mall on your way home or go to your kid's game, whatever seed was sown, no matter how effective the preacher might be that morning, <laughs> is going to be quickly snatched away. 
And the next sermon's not coming for seven more days. It's not enough time. A recent survey tells us that 80% of Americans believe that the Bible is sacred literature. Two-thirds of them believe that the Bible contains everything a person needs to know for a meaningful life. And yet, less than half, about 48 49%, have actually read a passage in the past year, and only about 9% read the Bible on a regular basis. Another survey identifies the 10 least Bible-minded cities in the country. Yeah, you ready? <laughs> Number one, Providence, Rhode Island. Number two, Albany, New York. Number three, Burlington, Vermont. Notice the trend here? Number four, Portland, Maine. Number five, Hartford, Connecticut. Number six, Boston, Massachusetts. Now, somehow New Hampshire doesn't make it. I've never thought of New Hampshire as the Bible Belt, but I don't know, maybe they're, <laughs> maybe they're doing better than the rest of us. Bottom line, there's not a lot of Bible engagement going on in New England, apparently. If the Bible's going to take hold in our lives, we need, it, need to give it time, frequent time, consistent time, unhurried time, extended time for it to take hold, to find a crack or crevice in our imagination, for the Holy Spirit to water it so it begins to produce something. Now, Sunday worship is a great opportunity for that, which is why the teaching of God's Word is a central controlling feature of every worship service we have here. So that's a great way to, to get started on your journey, on your growth. But if you only make it to one or two services a month, that's not frequent enough exposure to God's Word. It's not enough time. The Sunday's only a start. Believers who really want to grow in their faith will find other ways, other times to sit with God's Word in the course of a week. And for many people, it becomes a daily practice. Morning, noon, night, whatever, 10, 20, 30 minutes to sit with the passage of Scripture to read it and think about it. And many of us here at Grace use a devotional guide uh, called Encounter with God. And we encourage you to use it. You can go to our website, uh, grace.org slash devotional, and you can sign up and get it delivered to your house or get it on your email. Or a new feature on our Grace Chapel app. If you just go down to the bottom of the Grace Chapel app, there's a button that asks for more, and you can access Encounter with God or Oswald Chambers' classic devotional, My Utmost for His Highest, right there on your smartphone anytime. Now, it could be, like the character we met here this morning, you've been doing this for years and years. It's been a lifelong practice of yours. But suddenly, your devotional readings become routine and lifeless. Your mind wanders. You've lost motivation. My, my suggestion is, is don't give up. Change it up. Try something new. If morning's not working for you anymore, then try it on your lunch break or in the evening at home. If you've been having devotions in the kitchen, the kitchen table and it's not inspiring anymore, then go to the living room and look out the front window as you have your devotions. Get yourself a new translation of the Bible. Get a new devotional that you use. Listen to the, get an audio Bible and listen to it in the car. Get a podcast from your second favorite preacher <laughs> and listen to it while you exercise. Or a podcast from your first favorite preacher and listen to it again. Keep in mind, it's, it's not necessary for every minute with God's Word to be scintillating. Sometimes the seed just seems to be laying there, 
sitting there with nothing happening. You can't watch a plant grow moment by moment or even day to day. But something's happening. Things are stirring. And when the time is right, that seed code cracks open and germination happens. So the first thing Scripture needs is time to take hold of our hearts. Secondly, Scripture needs space to put down roots. Space to put down roots. The seed that fell on rocky soil actually germinated and began to grow, but since there was no open space for the roots to find nutrition and water, it withered under the stress and strain of daily life. So as important as it is to find time to sit with God's Word, we also need to create spaces in our soul for that word to penetrate the deep places of our lives. That's why it helps to find some way of interacting with the Scripture, not just reading, but thinking about it and responding to it. So get yourself a Bible that you don't mind marking up so you can underline and circle and write notes in the margins. Get yourself a little notebook and keep it with your Bible so you can write some things down as you go. Most devotional guides, like Encounter with God, have some reflection questions at the end of the reading for the day. And those questions are designed to, to loosen the soil of your hard-caked soul so the Word can penetrate. Don't blow past those questions. Think about them for a minute or two. Answer the question out loud or write it down in your journal. This morning's Encounter with God reading came out of Psalm 6. It's one of the many psalms of lament in the Scripture. And the reflective question at the end of the reading and the commentary was this. What hymns and songs do you know that help us draw closer to God in times of trouble? Now, here's what I said in my mind at that moment. Lord, it's Sunday morning. I don't have time for hymns and songs. i got to get ready to preach. <laughs> and that didn't sound very good, so... I decided to go with the question and to think of some hymns and songs that speak in times of trouble and sorrow. And I thought of one. Like a river glorious is God's perfect peace, over all victorious in its bright increase. And I sang my way all through that hymn. And it brought refreshment and peace and connection to God in a powerful way. I would have missed it if I just blew past the question. Another way I like to interact with the Scripture is sometimes to write out a prayer of response to what I've read. It just forces me to put something into words. And I use three simple prompts for that prayer. One sentence is, thank you, Lord. The sentence is, forgive me, Lord. And the third is, help me, Lord. For instance, a sample from my journal a few weeks ago comes out of Matthew chapter 9. The reading that day was uh, about Jesus healing a blind man. And after reading the story and thinking about it a little bit, this is what I wrote. Thank you, Lord, for your healing, saving power and for your desire to meet us when we are in need and lead us to better places, not just circumstantially, but spiritually. Forgive me, Lord, for smallness of faith for not coming to you persistently, boldly, expectantly. I am too natural in my thinking and living. Help me, Lord, to learn from the example of desperately needy people, to cast my cares and needs and dreams upon you, believing in your power and purpose. Amen. 
Sometimes that prayer is just three sentences. Sometimes it's three paragraphs. It's never more than a page. But I find that simple discipline helps me take this scripture and create some space so it finds and takes root in my heart. You know, it's common this time of year to see landscapers out aerating the soil, literally punching holes in the dirt so that roots of grass and shrubs can spread out and begin to find space to grow. And I find that the arts, music, art, painting, beauty, these things soften the soil of our hearts. They create some space in my hard-baked imagination for the scripture to take root. That's why the arts are an important part of our worship services and our, our environments, our teaching environments here at Grace. That's why we do drama and beautiful music and, and graphic art and video and spoken word and flowers and lighting because all these things stimulate our imagination. I'm, I'm blessed as a teacher to be able to speak into environments like that. But you can do that at home as well. Turn on some Christian music, either while you're having your devotions or as you make your way through the day. If you're reading a story from the life of Christ, if you Google that passage, it will take you to paintings of that scene in the life of Jesus. Look at that scene, that painting. Sit with it for a few minutes. Imagine yourself in the painting. Who would you be? How would you be responding to Jesus that day? Find a beautiful spot in your home to have devotion, something that stimulates your imagination. Light a candle to remind yourself that the Spirit is present while you are spending time. And if spring ever arrives, you can sit outside and have your devotions. Another way to open up the hard places of our lives, create some space, is to study the Scripture in the company of other people. In your life community, maybe an adult discipleship course, Yesterday, a few hundred women from Grace gathered in the courtyard here in Lexington for some teaching from Reverend Gloria Hammond and then conversation around tables about how, as women, they can leave legacies in their lives. How many spaces were created in those two hours of study and conversation together? Recently, our life community just kind of changed our approach to our, our studies Typically, we're using a study guide or a book that we're working our way through. What we're doing right now, we're working our way through the book of Acts. We just take a chapter, and whoever's leading that, that night prints it out on eight and a half by 11 sheets. We hand it out when we get there. There's no homework. There's no preparation. We sit down quietly for 10 or 15 minutes with those passages. We mark it up. We ask questions. We underline. And then we just pile on and share our thoughts and you wouldn't believe the lively, personal, insightful conversations we have around Scripture just by being together. So if your interaction with God's Word has gone stale, don't give up, change it up. Find something new, try a fresh approach, sit with some people, join a group, turn on some music, light a candle, and allow God's Word to take root in your soul. So seed needs time, it needs space, and thirdly, it needs room to grow and bear fruit. Let me try to explain what I mean here. This third group, uh, up until this point, we've been describing growth that is primarily invisible, beneath the surface. You don't see anything. But at some point, a plant needs to grow into the space around it. It needs to spread out its branches and produce some flowers and produce some fruit. You want to see something. 
So if God's word bears fruit in our lives, it ought to bear the fruit of Christ-like character and lifestyle and relationships. But if that growth is going to happen, it's going to happen in the everyday places of our lives, our workplace, our school, our neighborhood, our home. But too many people allow these everyday activities to overwhelm them, like thorn bushes to crowd out all the airspace, to occupy all their energy and attention, and so they, they don't grow. They're literally choked by the thorns. Now, there's no escaping everyday life. We have to go to work. We have to take care of our homes. But if we think of those places as places to grow, to grow into, then we create room for God's word to produce fruit in our lives. Let me try to give you an example. Most of us probably don't think of our workplaces as, uh, as places for vibrant spiritual growth. We think of them as limiters. We think of them as distractions. We think of our work as in competition with God's work in our lives. But what if we thought of our workplace as a greenhouse, as a place especially designed for us to grow spiritually? So let's say one morning you're having your devotions and you read from 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Now, it probably feels as though there's not a lot of room for humility in your workplace. That's not usually the fast track to success, be humble. But it, what if you were to pray, having read that passage on your way to work in the car, on the train, you say, Lord, help me today at work to recognize opportunities to practice humility. Like letting someone else take the credit for a good idea or like emptying the dishwasher in the break room when no one's watching, or like praising a coworker in front of everyone else. Now you are growing into your workplace rather than letting the workplace stifle your growth. Or let's think about your home life. Let's say you're in a very demanding season of family life. You've got kids at home. You've got your parents living with you. You've got your brother-in-law hanging around. You've got a dog. You've got a full house. You've got carpool. You've got kids' sports. You've got activities. You've got lawn work. You've got housework. How in the world are you going to find time and energy to grow spiritually when your house is that busy? Well, let's say one morning you're waiting in line for your turn in the bathroom and you swipe open your Grace Chapel app, and the devotional takes you to Colossians chapter 4, where you read, Husbands, love your wives. Wives, submit to your husbands. Children, obey your parents. Fathers, do not embitter your children. Well, chances are, there are going to be all kinds of opportunities around your house that day to grow into those things, to serve your spouse, to honor your parents, to affirm and delight in your children. Now, instead of letting family life stifle your growth, you're growing into that space and bearing Christ-like fruit. A few years ago, one of the leading churches in our country, Willow Creek Community Church, did an extensive survey of spiritual growth across the entire country. And they surveyed leading churches, including Grace Chapel, we participated years ago. 
And they got tens of thousands of responses. And their goal was to determine what helps people grow spiritually. And they created a continuum, a lot like our spiritual journey chart. And they discovered that the number one factor in moving people along the spiritual journey was Bible engagement. No matter where they are on that journey, no matter how stalled they may be, no matter how young or old they may be in their faith, the thing that is most likely to be catalytic in a person's spiritual life is Bible engagement. Not just reading, but reflecting, interacting, and living out the Scripture. As helpful as that study was, all it did was reveal what Jesus himself told us in this story. There is no spiritual growth apart from God's word. But that word is powerful. It is life-producing. And so when we allow it time to take hold, when we give it space to put down roots, when we have, give it room to grow and bear fruit, it will produce the fruit of Christ-like character and get us going and growing again. So I've shared with you a variety of ideas, practical ideas, and I wanted this message to be very practical of how to engage Scripture. But it's one thing for a preacher to tell you those things. How about a regular person? So as we finish up, I've invited a regular person from our Wilmington congregation to come. So would you welcome Angie as she comes and uh, shares with us a little bit? <laughs> Angie, just take a moment, maybe introduce yourself, and tell us a little bit in particular about your childhood experiences with God's Word at home and church. Sure. Good morning. I'm Angie Weiler. I worship at the Wilmington Congregation with my husband, Rand. We have uh, three little girls. Sydney's four, Reagan is three, and Piper is one. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, it is crazy at my house, 24-7. Uh, we live in Linfield, and um, currently I am a stay-at-home mom. Uh, very busy. In my former life, I was a teacher, and someday I hope to return to that. Um, growing up, I grew up in South Florida. My parents um, are both believers, and I uh, grew up in church. Several days a week, we were at church. My parents hosted a life community uh, group in their home, um, so I was immersed in having people in our house all the time. We were reading scripture. We were praying. We actually would have communion in our home, and because it was sunny South Florida, often there were baptisms that were done in our pool. Um, and one thing that stood out to me about my parents is how they put their faith in action. Um, I would say my parents are some of the most generous and hospitable people. And every Christmas, Thanksgiving, Easter, we always had non-family members at our table, people in the church that needed a place to go, somebody that was recently divorced, a single mom with her kids, somebody who didn't have family in town. Um, so I grew up with this and um, had just great examples growing up, for sure. Okay, so it sounds like you got off to a good start. Yes. Um, we have talked about the fact that it's not uncommon to get stalled on our way. So can you tell us about an experience in your life when you got stalled? Sure. Um, I went off to college to Furman University in South Carolina and had uh, a wonderful experience there. It's not a Christian school, but those four years uh, solidified my faith. I grew immensely. Uh, I was passionate about the Lord. I had people pouring into me and had a fabulous four years, loved college. And then I graduated and I had to grow up uh, and I moved back home, uh, which I swore I would never do. 
And um, I remember distinctly, so I was 22, I was sitting on my parents' patio. I was frustrated, I was deflated, I felt alone. Um, I missed being around peers my own age 24-7. Um, I had lost that fire, that spark. And I remember I was journaling and I was crying out to God, frustrated. It was very, I was very angry. And I remember the Lord saying to me, Angie, remember your first love. Do, start doing, now in your life in your 20s as a young professional, start doing again what you did in college when you were really close to me. So what did you do in college? Well, I read scripture with a pen and a journal. I um, went for long walks and just prayed. I would go into the mountains in the Carolinas and worship God. Um, I had older people pouring into me, and I mentored young kids. And so the Lord said, I want you to now in your 20s, um, you can't recreate college as much as maybe some of us want to, um, but take your best practices and habits and start doing them now in your 20s. So I would, instead of going to the mountains, I would go to the beach and just be in nature and worship God and journal. And um, I found uh, a volleyball team that I could coach and I poured into those young girls and I was an English teacher and I would uh, pour into them and find worship services that I could go to at a variety of churches. And um, I just had to get creative in um, finding those times when I was close to the Lord and taking those habits and incorporating them into my early 20s. Okay, so you were able to get going again. We got going again, got okay. back on the road again. There yes. you go. But now, now you're a mom with a house full of young kids and lots of activities, so it's a pretty crazy time of life to talk about sitting quietly with God's Word. How do you find time like that at this stage of life? So our actor this morning that was on the chair, I am never sitting uh, with my three babies. I'm just not, I'm never sitting with a cup of coffee um, or a donut, actually. <laughs> I wish. Um, so my, um, my goals and expectations for the day or for the week for Bible reading are very realistic. And I feel like in this crazy phase of life called motherhood, the Lord has said, Angie, you need to be kind and gracious to yourself because I am to you. So if I don't read anything um, if I don't read my Bible or any sort of devotion on Monday, I know that's why God gave me Tuesday. And so I start again, um, or Wednesday. Um, so I have realistic expectations as a stay-at-home mom now with my kids. Um, I have small, very small pockets of time throughout the day. I might have five minutes to myself in the bathroom, and typically a child is in there with me. Um, I might have two minutes here, a couple minutes here in the carpool line, um, et cetera. And so I start my day with actually a devotional on my phone. Um, it's an app. Um, I do have the Grace Chapel app. It, it's there on my smartphone. But I have, a, I have an app called She Reads Truth. Um, and it is powerful, and it packs a punch in a short uh, period of time. So I will read it. It takes me a couple minutes to read it, and then throughout my day, I will reread it if I get a couple minutes here or there. I will pray the scripture. I will think, who can I encourage with this scripture? I will try to memorize the scripture. So I have small pockets of time that I will consistently try to read the same scripture throughout the day. Um, when my awesome husband comes home and relieves me and the children are sleeping and it is quiet, then I have my alone time, which my alone time with the Lord now is not a chore. It is my respite. It is my treat. It is my reward for surviving the day. And so 
you think I'm kidding. <laughs> it's not, I'm not. Um, so typically at the end of the day, you can find me in the bathtub uh, with a devotional book and an ice cream in my hand, because I, I made it. I survived another day with my babies. Um, yeah, thanks. Um, um, I will go grocery shopping at night by myself, and it is phenomenal. And um, in the car, um, I will turn off the silly kids' music, and I will just um, worship the Lord uh, with praise and worship music. Or I will sit in silence and just talk to the Lord, and it is my treat. It is, it is just a nourishment for my soul. Um, if I don't get to do anything of substance throughout the day, which you know often happens, I I have trained my brain to think, okay, Angie, when you're doing all those mundane tasks, dishes, laundry, dishes, laundry, changing diapers, laundry, and laundry, and a lot of laundry, while I'm folding laundry, I am praying, or I'm thinking about that scripture or something in the sermon I heard, and I think of Brother Lawrence, who lived in the kitchen. And when he was washing dishes, that was his prayer life. And so I have to multitask. And so I take the mundane things throughout my day and try to make them worshipful. Um, and finally, fellowship, community. Tuesday night, I, I get out of the house and I get to come here and uh, do scripture and fellowship with uh, a fabulous group of Joy Bible Study ladies uh, that I meet with every Tuesday night. They're nourishment for my soul, um, as well as uh, a couple of other stay-at-home moms that I meet with weekly. And we get all the kids together in somebody's house, and it is pure chaos, and the moms and I try to talk about the devotion that we're all reading together. Uh, we talk about the sermon, or we talk about what God is doing in our life, and even though we don't get long, extended periods of time to talk to each other, it never happens, we always leave each other's presence encouraged, taking away nuggets of truth together. Um, and finally, my husband and I are also in a life community group twice a month, and we, our group has um, parents of young children. Um, so we can talk about how do we survive uh, this period of our life. And not only survive, how do we do it well? Um, and finally, um, if I don't get to do any of that, <laughs> and there are days, um, I find that the Lord meets me when I am reading a kid's story Bible to my children at night. And I feel like I get to the end of the day, I have survived, and even if I didn't get to do my own private Bible study, the Lord speaks to me through my kids' stories in their kids' Bibles, and they're beautiful. And even when I sing to them to sleep and sing hymns to them, that is my worship time for about 10, 15 minutes at the end of the day. You just have to get creative, even if your life is crazy, um, and God will meet you there. It, it can be sweet, even in the chaos, Thank for sure. I hope that helps. Thank you, Angie. That My helps pleasure. a great deal. Thank you. Well, your life may look nothing like Angie's or Jeff's, who we met in the drama, and that's not the point. The point is, with a little creativity, little intentionality. You too can create time and space and room for God's word to take hold and produce fruit in your life. You know, every parable always has a surprise to it. It's what makes them so much fun. There's some element in every parable that's an unexpected twist that would have caused Jesus' original hearers to sit up and take notice. You know what the surprise is in this parable? It's the yield, the harvest that's produced. 30, 60, 100-fold, Jesus says. 
Now, I am no farmer, so I did a little research, and I learned that a typical yield, depending on the seed and the plant, is somewhere between 7 and 35 times what's sown. So when Jesus talks about a yield of 30 and 60 and 100-fold, that was outrageous. Jesus' listeners would have gone, what? It's crazy. But that is the power, the life-changing, life-producing, life-giving power of God's good seed when it is planted in your soul. It takes root. It bears fruit for the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for speaking into our lives through the scripture, through one another, the created world around us, and the whisper of your spirit in our hearts. We trust all of those things have happened today as you have invited us into a closer relationship with you through the scriptures. Thank you for this Bible that we have, for these words of life available to us anytime, anywhere. Lord, may we seek them out, may we sit with them, and may they make us more and more like your son, Jesus Christ, not only for our sake, but for the sake of the world. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand as we...